This is the Blackout Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Blackout Podcast where I get to talk to amazing people that do amazing things. And today I have someone I respect, someone that I'm learning a lot from in McLeod. Thanks and welcome to the podcast Thanks, today. Thanks for having me. I don't know if I'm amazing, but I'm happy to be here. So. <laughs> I know. Well, first of all, I remember coming to Afco because I, I made a uh, film on the phone and then someone was like, oh, you know, you need to go to that, this Afco place. And I remember coming in and then I found out about the script writing thing. And, you know, I don't know why... You know, everyone is celebrates the actor and the director, but it all starts with the fucking script. Yes, I like what you're saying. <laughs> it does. I it like does. Where your head's at. <laughs> no, really. So I remember, you know, taking the um, screen uh, writing workshop with you. I was like, holy shit. And I've taken that thing like three or four times yeah. now. And the next one you do, I'm going to probably okay, right. take it. I was kind of, when you were there, I thought, because you were taking notes on your phone, but I didn't realize you were taking notes. I thought you were just texting somebody. So I'm like, this dude, man, I've lost him. But then you came back a second and a third time. Like, I don't understand. He seems to be texting all the time, but he keeps coming back. Maybe, I, I don't know. I'm old, so maybe there's something I don't understand. But yeah, no, I'm glad you enjoy it. Yeah, no, I know. Does this, um, the, I think it was the first or the second one where you put a photo of like like i think it's for the street in england okay yeah yeah yeah, yeah and yeah, then it's manchester like, yeah yeah and it's this crazy photo and like and then we have to kind of come up with people's yeah. story I, I love that exercise that's not my uh original idea like oh! I've, i stole that like i think that's a you there are different people who have used that idea of like you you start um trying to build a story out of a photo what's going on and mm. it's just kind of a good kind of way to get people thinking about story and i actually used to do uh i've taught a lot of screenwriting workshops and i used to kind of do a lot a lot more kind of information dumping you know this is the three act structure this is this this is that and now i kind of feel like i'm a little scared to do this <laughs> but i just want to spend the whole workshop just making a story up with the people in the class because I think that's really how you learn to write is by writing. So yeah, yeah, I agree, I agree. So tell me a bit about your background. Well, I uh, I grew up mostly in New Glasgow in uh, Pictou County in Nova Scotia. We moved around a little bit, but it was mostly there. And um, uh, my dad was a minister, so I kind of had a, oh, wow. a religious upbringing and. Uh, you know, it was a very New Glasgow is a very kind of working class community. I, I I would say my family was pretty solidly middle class, but it was a working class environment, and very Scottish. Uh, certainly not exclusively Scottish, but uh, you know there was that cultural kind of influence in the in the community, mm. and. Uh, I watched TV a lot when I was a kid, <laughs> and a huge soccer fan. I've got my yeah, West Ham yeah, hat on, I, which I, I, seemed I, to excite I, you. So, yeah. uh, and I was I was a real when I was a kid. I was a real I don't know. I suppose this is probably something to do with colonialism, but I was a, a real Anglophile when I was a kid, and I used to uh, love watching uh, British films and TV, and you know. So yeah, I, but I think I had a pretty. Uh, I grew up in the 80s, a pretty sort of, you know, 
in some ways, typical small town, Nova Scotia kind of upbringing. Mm. Um, and because of the religious thing, and I think also because of the fact I grew up in a very Scottish area, uh, I was I was very aware of that too, and those were big influences, I'd say. Okay. Yeah. And then how do films start? Well, like I said, I watched a lot of TV, so I think that was probably an influence. But for me, uh, it really started when I was in grade twelve. At the end of grade twelve, I was in uh, I was taking a sociology class, mm. and there was a group presentation. And actually, it's funny because I know a lot of people who went to school uh, in other countries, and they all kind of say that, oh, like in Canadian schools, there's always a big focus on presentation. And uh, in a lot of other countries, that isn't the case. I actually did not found, find that to be the way. And maybe it's just, again, because of my age, but there were very few presentations in school. But this was, and maybe this is partly why I remember it so much, um, but this was... Uh, a, a pretty big one. There was a, a, a sort of a, it was a group and we had to present to the class. And so the group I was in decided, let's do a video as part of this. Mm. And this was like 1990, it was spring of 1990. And video cameras were, they'd been around for a little while, but they weren't very, most people didn't have them. So we rented, my friends and I rented a video camera from a stereo store. And <laughs> so like all these words are things that don't even, <laughs> nobody even knows they, what they are. Uh, and then uh, we, so we shot this video. Uh, it was about immigration. We did the, we had to pick a social topic. It was sociology class. Okay. And so we interviewed a friend of mine who was from Poland and we somehow got an interview with the local immigration officer. And then oh. we stole this news clip from CBC <laughs> and then we edited with two VCRs and we did the titles were like white paper on a white table that we pulled along <laughs> with the credits and then we also put in like um uh lots of just music that we like to like punk music and whatever and which didn't fit but was kind of part of its charm yeah. and I had so much fun that was the most fun I'd ever had, certainly in school, but maybe just in life. Oh, wow. And so it really planted this seed of, like, film is something that's fun to do. And I, I, I think, like, I knew that people made films, obviously, but growing up in a small town in Nova Scotia at that time, before the internet, it was just something, like, I couldn't, I, I, I wouldn't even know how to begin to even think about doing that, let alone doing it. Mm. And so I just kind of kept making videos with my friends. And I, again, I watched a lot of TV. I watched a lot of movies. And slowly over time, it became this idea that maybe this is something I could do. Mm. And so that's probably where it started. And it mm. kind of grew from there. And um, do you remember the title of this immigration film you guys made? No, I don't. I wish I did. And I don't have it. Like, I have stuff. We, because we rent, we had the camera for the whole weekend. So we, <laughs> we, you know, might as well do something else. So we did this ridiculous kind of, um, uh, sort of horror spoof in one of, in the backyard of one of my friends. And I, I think we still have that somewhere, but I don't have the immigration thing. And it just kills me. Like, that's one of my biggest. Wait, like, wouldn't your school still have it? Oh, God. No, they don't. They... <laughs> They tore it down. They I don't think they kept stuff two weeks after we were Holy out of there. Shit. No, no, I don't think they have it. I think, and then the other thing is too, because it's like video costs a lot of money. It's not like we were doing two copies, right? Mm. Like that was five bucks or something. So no, we. Uh, I think there was only ever one copy, and I don't know. It was uh, sort of okay. lost to the. 
And so did you go straight to a film school or like no, a film course? No, I again because I didn't. I wasn't by that time. I'd already applied to university. Um, to study what? Well, I went to King's, mm. and uh, the first year at King's is called the Foundation Year Program, and you do sort of like it's a, a crash course in Western civilization. You don't do individual electives so much. But it was, uh, you know, I wasn't really ready for university, and there were a lot of rich kids from Toronto there, and so after a couple of months, I dropped out and, you know, had a, had a dead-end job in a video warehouse in New Glasgow. I moved back home. Video warehouse? Yeah. Again, that's something that doesn't even, <laughs> yeah. what even is that? <laughs> so what but do you do? There, well, there was a company that was owned by Sobeys, actually. It was called Downey's Video. And what we did, we had the contract to distribute videos to the Sobe stores used to have videos. Oh. And then all the convenience stores used to have videos, uh, like the needs. And then there were also like independent sort of like corner shops that would have videos. And so the bigger stores would deal directly with the distributors like Warner Brothers or whatever in Montreal or Toronto. But we were kind of these like uh, middlemen, if you will, oh. that we dealt with a lot of the local kind of um, places plus Sobeys. And so we would, my job, I was called a movie trader. And I would get, I would get a printout on a computer. Uh, they did have computers. And... Uh, <laughs> They, I would get this printout, and it would be like, "But was it a dot matrix?" Printout? Yeah, 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 yeah. You had to rip the. But anyway, it was so. I get this printout of all the movies a particular video store had had in the last year, mm. and I had to go to the shelves and get sixty movies they hadn't had. So the first like thirty or forty were really easy to find. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, then yeah. you would get into this thing where it was like harder to find titles. Was it arranged alphabetically? No, they had like uh, I don't remember exactly. It was like a number code that oh, they had. Okay. But um, the yeah. So the last sort of ten or fifteen would be really hard to find. So I, you know, I'd send them like Japanese movies, <laughs> and then I'd write a little card in. I got in trouble for this. Thank you for supporting Japanese cinema. <laughs> and like, so you'd have some some you know like corner store on the South Shore somewhere, and they'd be complaining about the movies. So it was anyway. So I did that, and then I had a couple of other. I worked in a funeral home at one point. And what? I, yeah. How is that experience? Like, do you, what were you doing there? I was just like uh, it was a summer kind of job, okay. and again, I'm I got it, I guess, because my dad was a minister and knew the you know, so it was just a summer job. So I was basically just helping out so that everybody could take their two weeks holiday over mm -hmm. the course of the summer. They'd sort of rotate, yeah. and so a lot of what I was doing was I might be answering the phone at night, or I'd be uh, vacuuming or sweeping up or mm -hmm. opening the door for people at wakes, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So I did that. I just did that just for the summer. Okay. Uh, and then I, you know, I had a few other jobs. And then eventually I decided, you know what, I'm not really. Oh, and there were also a couple failed attempts at moving to England when I was 20. Moving, what? Oh, because you loved England. Yeah, and I got there and I realized, oh, this is really hard and I don't know anyone <laughs> and what am I doing? And I bailed. How was the weather, though? In, how is the weather in England? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's better than here. What? Uh, well, it doesn't snow, so. Oh! <laughs> But it, I mean, it's I. I think it's probably it probably rains more though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because everyone is, complains about the rain. Yeah, it is Halifax. Yeah, but... yeah, so I I tried that didn't really work out, and I I realized at that point I was um it was just before I was twenty one. I'm like I need to go back to school. So wait, when you're in England, like was that when West Ham started? No, I became uh, a West Ham fan when I was like about twelve or thirteen. Oh wait, so before this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> all the teams. Yeah. 
I um yeah, I don't know why. I just randomly picked them. They were like in Shoot magazine or Match magazine or one of those magazines. That's something else from the past. <laughs> and uh you're too kind. And um so yeah, so I uh I decided I had to go back to school. And again, mm-hmm. because this was right before the internet, yeah. uh, information was harder to get. You couldn't just go online and find stuff out. So mm-hmm. I actually missed I was gonna go to I went to York and I was gonna do a film degree. But the film deadline was earlier than the general deadline, oh. so I missed it. So I went into the English stream, and then I was then I was going to switch in my second year, but because uh, I I kind of did the math and I realized at the, I don't know if they still do this or not, but at the time in Ontario you could do a three year degree, and uh, so I did the math and I realized that in the summer when I came home. I could do classes at St. Avex and I could do a three-year degree at York in two years. Oh. So I just stayed in English. I didn't, I took, so I took one or two kind of film theory classes, but that I did an English degree. Mm. And then when I got out of school, I moved back to Nova Scotia and I somehow convinced my mother to loan me money. She didn't tell my dad how much, <laughs> uh, to loan me money to make a film. And oh, that wow. was my that was my first film. Did you have the idea for the film before you asked that for the money? Yeah, it was uh, it was the film I made. I, I sort of say it was a, about Viola Desmond, but it it kind of really wasn't. It was about the night she was arrested. Mm. And I, for those who don't know, although hopefully most people do, uh, and her her story is more and more sort of well known, and she's on the ten dollar um, bill now. Yeah. Oh, good. That you know, I suck at saving, but I think having her on the on the thing is making me saving now, like into saving now. Because whenever I I get it turned up yeah. with her, I just keep it. So now yeah. I'm having a stash yeah. somewhere. Yeah. So I had I didn't and and I grew up in the town that she was. So basically, it was in November 1946. There was an African Nova Scotian uh, businesswoman from Halifax, Viola Desmond, who uh, went to New Glasgow, and uh, her car broke down. And she wanted to sort of kill some time, really. And so mm-hmm. she went to the Roseland uh, Cinema. And at the time, it was racially segregated. And she didn't know that because in Nova Scotia at the time, it was kind of, there wasn't a universal kind of segregation oh. policy, is from what I understand anyway. So she, she was sold without realizing a ticket to the balcony, uh, which was where... Um, African Nova Scotians were quote unquote, you know, supposed to sit. And she went downstairs and was asked to leave because the, and then the, the sort of explanation was that, oh, well, because you only paid for it. So she said, well, I'll pay the difference. And of course, that wasn't what the issue was. Mm. And sort of it escalated. The theater manager came, the cops came. She actually spent the night in jail. And um, was in in the end, the charge was defrauding the government one cent because that was the difference in the amusement tax, right? So it's it's this very and she took it, she appealed and lost in mm. a in a high court, and so it's this you know very famous story in Canadian civil rights history, and so I didn't I didn't and I had gone to that movie like that's the movie theater where I saw La Bamba in, in right like it was this it was. And I didn't know this story until like 1993, 1994 at York in Toronto in the student newspaper during, uh, which at the time was called Black History Month, reading about this story Mm. and going, oh my God, Mm. this is where I grew up. I didn't even know this. And so that story was in my mind. And I, 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 um, 
I didn't really, I still don't really have a clue, but I especially didn't then. But even then, somehow I knew it wasn't my place to tell her story. Mm. So I wrote this story that happened on the night of her arrest, and it's sort of about the the white New Glasgow's response to it. And then there's this secret interracial relationship that's kind of the the kind of the way in. Mm. And it's not a great movie to be on it. Like it's very <laughs> okay. But do you know the, what did you call it? It was called. Oh, this is here's a piece of advice by the way. It's called November 1946. <laughs> do not ever, 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 ever name a movie a date. It's just like, you know, oh, it's April 1973, what? Like, nobody ever remembered. It was a disaster. I thought he was being really clever. Yates had written a, a number of poems called things like Ireland in April 1913, that kind of thing. And so I thought, oh, look how clever I'm being. But nobody appreciated so anyway, I made – and so that was really my film school because it, it was basically almost – it was an hour long. How, what? Yeah, and I had what? I had no – How much money did you have? It was, well, what I don't did know you if shoot it on? I don't know if I should have met and, my um, mom. And how long did you shoot it for? It was, uh, it was 48 minutes long. We shot over – I think it was 15 days. Holy and it was it was really um, – it was meant to be three weekends – and it turned into six. And I had no idea what I was doing. There's no AD. I didn't even know what that was. Yeah. And so I did it. I scheduled it all and arranged it all myself. And I thought I was being smart by having this 29-minute sort of centerpiece set in a diner uh, in the middle of film. But it's like basically what I realized after, and not that long after either, unfortunately, was, oh, this is a play. I just, <laughs> I just filmed the play. And so uh, – but we, we shot in this um, – sort of cafe diner in Picto mm. and it closed at six o'clock on Saturday night and it opened on six o'clock Saturday uh, Monday morning so what oh, I should have done weekend. yeah so what I should have done was given them a bunch of money to close for a couple more days and just shoot it out in the day and and you know put like uh, paper in the window or sort of dark and you know keep the light from coming in mm. but I stupidly thought uh, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll shoot all night Saturday and I'll shoot all night Sunday. And, you know, everybody was really messed up. And mm. it just was, it was this, it just became this nightmare doing, I think it was the first three weekends we were at that, uh, at that location. And, Gosh. and it was just like, yeah, it was a really, it was a long drawn out, not always fun sort of experience. Yeah. Well, I guess I, but it makes a good uh, great film school though, because yeah, you learned a ton. Yeah, from I, I, everything I really learned, or <clears throat> most of the the most important things I learned, I I think I learned on that on that film and that experience. And like I had my um, I cast my grade two teacher as one of the actors, and you know he was I I don't mean this in a critical way, but it just kind of wasn't working out with his performance mm. during rehearsals, and I actually fired him. <laughs> and so there are great stories that kind of come, you know, there's also the racist makeup guy, you know, oh like there's God. like, it was, there was, it was kind of a, a master class in not only how not to make a film, yeah. but how like not to approach uh, a difficult subject uh, you know, sort of centered on race as a as a you know sort of a well intentioned white liberal whatever you know like there was a there were a lot of things I did wrong so <laughs> okay and then after that experience you learned all these things yeah. did you how long before you made another film it was about it was a year 
Oh, what was the next one? The next one was called CFA. It was a mockumentary about folk art. So what does CFA mean? Well, CFA, it stood for a couple things. So it stands for um, Come From Away. Oh. But it also stood for the initials of the main character, who is like this American uh, folk art enthusiast. And it was a, it was a mockumentary. And it was about it was a half hour. So the the first four films I made, there was an hour and two half hours, Gosh. and none of these lengths sell. Yeah. Nobody buys those. Film festivals don't program them, and I had no I didn't know that. So I made mm. all this kind of I should have made. Um, even when it's funny, even when the first film, November nineteen forty six, played at Wormwoods in the um, just up the street. Mm. Uh, in the film festival in 1996, I remember my dad saying, uh, who doesn't know anything about, you know, the film industry, there was a five-minute film that was also in that same program. And he said, you know, you probably should have done, like, a, a, fi a five-minute. And, of course, he was right. Yeah, Because you can – a lot of the lessons I learned on my 48-minute film mm. – or I shouldn't say my, but the 48-minute the film mm. – uh, I could have learned those on a five-minute film too. True. Right? So. Yeah, true. Oh, and you asked me what it was – it was shot on 16. Oh. And I had this I had – which is why it cost so much. I had this ridiculous idea in my mind mm. that – because uh, I wanted to shoot on 16. And in fairness, at the time, video looked a lot colder uh, than digital does now. But it was black and white. And so we shot on 16 and then just dumped it onto beta and edited it on video. So I remember, I won't tell you how much the whole thing cost. <laughs> but I will, because my my mother might watch this at some point. I don't know. But um, the uh, it was, I think the bill to Magnetic North in Toronto was eight eight hundred dollars for all they did was not all but they they transferred the film after it had been at the lab mm. onto beta and we even supplied the tapes what and they so they transferred it onto beta and then they synced everything and that was the eighty eighty eight hundred dollars I can't say it because it's still painful. Eighty eight hundred dollars. Yeah, <laughs> that is a lot of money. Yes, it is. Yeah. And again, because there was no budget and because I hadn't planned any yeah, of this, yeah. it was just. How these... did you pay your actors though? Like, uh, did you pay them for the day? Yeah, or was yeah, it yeah. For the whole project. Yeah, it was. It was per day. I don't think it was that much. And we actually had um, the the training programs with Actra were sort of still in their infancy. Uh... But we did have one of the performers uh, was a Halifax um, theater legend who's no longer with us, David Renton, mm. who was in Neptune's first season in 1963 and was this kind of, at the time he was in his 60s, and he um, he graciously agreed to be in the film and wow. got paid way less than he should have and was uh, just a real trooper. and a, a Man, great... you should have just, you, <clears throat> I guess, just the more you say about this film, the more you sound like you... Well, a great producer. That's what you should be doing. Because getting such a person on your film, yeah. Although he was, uh, yeah. I don't know. I think he maybe just felt sorry for me. It was more. <laughs> he was sort of like, okay. And it's. I mean, you know, the story too. It's. It's a really important story. Yeah, I probably is. wasn't the person to tell it, mm. and I was. You know, I was certainly in over my head. Uh, but he was. He. I think at the time. He was. He wanted to get more. He was at that time. He was a member at AFCOOP, and he wanted to get more involved in the community. And mm. I, I remember when I first met him. Actually, it was um, during uh, Salter Street, which is DHX, which I think they've changed the name again. Had this show called Lex, which was this sci-fi show. Mm. And there used to be. This is how old I am, which I've mentioned four times now. But <laughs> they there used to be 
a Volvo factory in oh, Halifax, oh. but they I think they just assembled stuff that came from Sweden. Mm. And then that had been empty for a while. And then they were shooting, there weren't sound stages at the time, so they'd, they'd sort of improvised a sound stage in there. So I think the first time I met David Renton was on this, he was dressed as like an outer space wizard, and I went to meet him uh, on set. And I, I passed Rutger Hauer oh, uh, wow. going through the door because he was he was in that episode. And I didn't even recognize him. I wasn't really a genre sort of person. And then the, my friend who was with me got really nervous. And he was like, oh, hello, <laughs> Miss, Mr. Hauer. And then Rutger Hauer was like, hi. And then he just kept going. So that's not really much of a story, but... <laughs> Yeah, so. <laughs> okay. And then when do you start writing? Like, you made all these movies. Was yeah. there a gap between that and actually writing for other people? No. Well, what happened was I was really, I sort of like, I made four movies kind of one after the other uh, in the late 90s. And I had a plot. And then at sort of in the middle of that, I got my first TV job writing on Street Sense. So I, it was a CBC show mm. that was, it was kind of like a youth um, show that focused on um, consumerism and stuff, you know, teaching kids how to save money and whatever. But okay. there were sketches in it that did this. So I was one of the people who wrote the sketches. Mm. So I did a season there um, between, that was in 99. And I made, I actually made two movies in 99. And oh, so wow. like it was start, I was really starting to make more stuff. It was getting into festivals and and then I had applied to the Canadian Film Center in Toronto three years in a row as a director, and I didn't get in. And the last time, I got shortlisted, and I had an interview, and I didn't get in. And so I got in touch with them, and I said, you know, I'm just wondering if you have any feedback. And they said, you're not a director, which, you know, is not so easy to hear. Uh, you are a writer. So there's like a silver lining. It's like, oh, well, I, I'm not a director, I guess, but apparently I'm a writer. Mm. And um, so I applied as a writer. And I Did got they a... give you any reason for how it came to that conclusion? No, no. Oh, okay. Even years later, there was no. And then eventually I realized, oh, maybe they were wrong. <laughs> but And maybe they weren't. I don't know. But um, so I, I applied as a writer and I got in and I went. And uh, so I did a program there uh, that they don't have anymore. They rolled into another program, but called the Professional Screenwriting Program. How long was it for? Uh, that one was just three months. Most of their programs are just a few months. Oh. And so usually what would happen would be, it's kind of like a film finishing school in a way. Oh, okay. And it, even though it's, it's modeled on AFI in the States, it's really, you know, a short-term kind of intensive, uh, like you get, you, at AFI, I think you get an MFA now, like it's a degree granting kind oh. of. But uh, so I went there. Uh, and then so again, I'm thinking, oh, I'm a writer. I'm not a director. And then almost immediately after finishing, I got an agent mm. and I got a job on a show I was on for six years. Uh, Trailer Park Boys. Yeah. How was that? How was that one? It was really, I look back and I like, it was a great experience, but I was, I was terrified the whole time I was there because Why? I started writing or, or I was story editor in season two. So the, the, the original show was seven years. So I was there from season two to season seven, mm. but I had briefly in season one for the first two days done continuity. Which was a, it was a ridiculous thing to do on that show, particularly in the first I mean, year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, there was at the time the province 
which if you know anything about film is a ridiculous idea, but they had this scheme where if you had worked in one area of the industry, you could get training in another area, oh. which is, I mean, anybody who knows film knows it's, it's about specialization. So you don't really do that. Mm. But I somehow got into this and I was supposed to be trained to be a continuity person mm. but there was no training it was just like okay here's your clipboard it's <laughs> here's this is when your call time is and it's like well, okay and then trailer park boys of course especially in that first year it was just like okay now we're going to do a scene at the side of the street <laughs> and it's like well what what number is this it's not in the script and different people are like figure it out <laughs> so at the end of day two they call me in, the producers, and they're like, you know, it's not really your fault, but it's not really working out. Yeah. Would you like a part-time office job instead? And my pride was really hurt. This mm. was this was before I went to the film center. Okay. And my pride was really hurt. And I said no, but I didn't I didn't freak out or I wasn't rude or anything. And then in the meantime, I went um and actually I I forgot this part. I between so that was the summer of two thousand and I went to the film center in the winter of two thousand and one. Mm. And that fall I didn't get brought back to Street Sense. Because now all the secrets are coming out. <laughs> Nobody really cares, I guess. But So Street Sense had hidden the writers who were writing sketch from the Writers Guild. Oh. And the Writers Guild found out. And then so they restructured the whole way the show was, was made. So I didn't... I, didn't have a job. Mm. And so I was a PA. Well, because you had to be a member of the guild to write well, you don't the have, show. You don't have to be a member, but you have to be paid the, the union the, rate, oh, right? Oh, okay. So, and they didn't have it in the budget, so, gotcha, 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 yeah. Gotcha. So I, I was a PA on a, a dock that fall, and I was broke a lot. And, and so then, even though I was broke and my life was kind of falling apart, I thought, well, why don't I try to make a feature film for $1,000? And so... <laughs> How long was this film? Oh, well, it didn't get made, so... Oh. <laughs> In, in theory, eighty-five minutes, but we shot for three days. Oh wow! It was it was a paintball thriller set in the woods, <laughs> and it's called Kill Country, which is a great title. It is actually. Yeah, and uh, it was a great script. I wrote it with my friend Ian Johnson, who'd also written on on Street Sense, and it was uh, so we went and we started shooting, and we were it was early December, and we were gambling that the weather would hold. Oh, fuck. And it didn't. There was a blizzard. We got shut down. It was just a nightmare. So we abandoned this project. And I think I actually, I was at my friend who was involved in the making of that film and who's who's, sadly is no longer with us. I was at his grandmother's house Mm. and who at the, she's still alive at the time she was in her 80s. And we were watching Jeopardy, and I, my back, I'd thrown out my back making this movie, and she, <laughs> this woman who was in her 80s was kind of taking care of me, and I was in my 20s still. And uh, so she gave me this electric blanket, and I was just sort of like this, <laughs> and almost in tears watching Jeopardy with her. And it was at that time when this film just fell apart that I had my interview with the film center uh, and got in. And then, so it was like, Oh, I guess I'm not a director. I'm a writer. Mm. So then I got on trailer park boys right away. I'm not answering your question, but anyway, so because I had, um, done continuity and kind of been fired, but kind of not when they asked me to be on trailer park boys the next year in the story department, mm. I had that in my mind and I actually had that, in my mind for the whole six years and I thought I'm going to be fired at any moment so even though it was I in one way I really enjoyed it and it was a lot of fun and I I feel like I can say this because it wasn't I didn't create the show I think it was a great show Mm. 
but I was always scared of being fired. So I never totally relaxed. Mm. And um, yeah, so that's, and then I, so I didn't really make my own stuff during those six years and I was getting paid okay. And I was, you know, worked half the year and it was, I thought life was pretty good. And then uh, the show ended, and it never occurred to me that there wouldn't be something to replace it. I mean, I knew the show wouldn't last forever, mm. but I thought, I'll just bounce on to something else. And if I thought about it at all, I thought, oh, I hope I like that other show that I get. But <laughs> it just, and it just kind of, because, and I, partway through Trailer Park Boys, I moved to New Glasgow. Mm. I don't, I think that was a, this ridiculous idea I had. And so I moved back down there. So not only was I not in Toronto, I wasn't even in Halifax. Mm. So really, if you're getting TV work, you need to be in Toronto hustling. And I wasn't doing that. And I just assumed it would all work out. Where and, was the Trailer Park uh, Writers Room? In Halifax? Or? Where was Yeah, it was in Halifax. Oh, yeah. Okay. And it was, we bounced the last season, we were in Rob Wells' garage in Dartmouth. <laughs> Like it was a very. I was the only one who didn't smoke, oh my and like God. we're in this garage oh, and they're shit. smoking, and like it's just yeah. And there were a lot of like, um, it was a very. Not only was the content of the show unconventional, the way it was made was unconventional. It was very different from the way most TV shows, story departments are run, mm. and so it was a lot of it was just sort of trying to hang on and not you know. But uh, yeah, so I, after the show, nothing really replaced it. And then slowly I started making a living again with features that were in development. But I wasn't really making my own stuff. And then sort of a few years after Trailer Park Boys, I moved back to Toronto mm. to try to see if I still had a career. And I was there for about half of 2012 and, you know, trying to hustle and get some stuff going. And it, did, it just never really took off. I would over the years get these occasional consulting gigs on shows and stuff, but nothing really kind of went anywhere. Mm. And so I came back to Halifax and realized this is where I want to be and then said, you know, I haven't – so this is like 2013 maybe. I thought I haven't – I used to love making movies, and I haven't done that in like 10 years. Mm. And because somebody – and I'm not, I love the Canadian Film Centre. I'm, I'm really glad I went there. I'm grateful for it. But because one or two people decide that They're a 27-year-old is this thing, not that thing, mm. I was not making movies. So I said, I'm going to start making stuff again. So I started making my own things. And uh, I mean, I, it, it doesn't do any good to dwell on it, but I do wish that I'd you know, made that move earlier. So mm. that was, was a very long answer. <laughs> What's the first thing you made in that period? Oh, God. The, if I have to say what the first thing is, mm. this is another disaster. It was, a, it was a movie about, it was called Body Language. Oh, okay. And it was, um, it, it was basically a comedy about a couple who break up through charades. <laughs> and uh, it's, it actually wasn't bad, but I sent the rough cut to, the, to Finn and it didn't get in. Yeah. And then I kind of, because it was the first thing after a long time, I'm mm. like, oh, maybe it's no good. And I actually think it's was okay. Was there any dialogue but... inside or was just? No, there's dialogue. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah, and because um, they have to guess what the, the actions are, yeah. So then I got a grant. I think the next thing I did was a, a, a short called Suicide Mission. I really is, like yeah, that yeah, one. Yeah. I really, really like that one. And then I thought, and that didn't really go anywhere either. But then I thought, oh, maybe it's maybe I should be doing this. So I just kept making shorts, and then eventually some features too. And yeah. Um, what was the first one? Was it your money or your wife? Yeah. Or? Oh, yeah. That was 2015. How did that idea even come about? 
Well, so basically, it's the movie, Your Mind Your Wife, it was made as a micro-budget through uh, the province used to have this program called First Feature, which is like a micro-budget program. Mm. And so they had it for four years, and we were the last one. And, oh, then, the, wow. and then the provincial agency agency shut. Oh, what was, was it called? It was during the tax credit. The agency? or yeah. the uh, it was, Well, at first, it was the Nova Scotia Film Development Corporation, but then it changed its name to Film and Creative Industries Nova Scotia. Okay. So... Uh, Anyway, the movie's about this guy. His uh, girlfriend dumps him. He goes out. He gets drunk. Um, and then he it's cold. It's wintertime. So he, he breaks into a garage and sleeps there, wakes up. And then the people in the garage are about to go do a home invasion. And they think he's the guy who's going to – they met on the internet who's going to help them, right? So, And uh, it's a farce. And so – but the the – I don't know if I should say this, but I'm going to. So the way it came from this fact that my brother knew this guy in Picto County mm. who'd had a few drinks one night and went into this garage. So I guess it's break and enter, right? Like, <laughs> and slept it off and then stole a coat from oh, this garage because it was cold. And then he went home and he called my brother. He's like, what do I do with this coat? I don't know. What... <laughs> and I just always thought that was like a, a ridiculous Picto County story. And I, I thought it was funny and I wrote it down. And, I, and then it just sort of, you know, I had this idea about like B&Es. Like, I don't know why. Like, I'm, I'm very straight laced and I've had a very sheltered life. So I find things like B and E's and cocaine funny, <laughs> and like they're kind of not. But I like I have this very kind of you know sort of, and I think about particularly like, you know, you think about certain British comedies that you know the farces and so on that you know were a big influence on me. So anyway, that's where that came from. So that was in 2015. Mm, I really enjoyed that one. Oh, thanks. How long? How long did you shoot that for? That was 14 days, I think. Oh yeah. man, and oh yeah. yeah, yeah. In winter, God. which I do not recommend. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, <laughs> but but I guess when you shoot in winter, you kind of get people to it's work the, on your stuff. The crews are more available yeah. then, so that's certainly helpful. And you can sometimes, you know, they might give you a deal on their rate or mm. you know that sort of thing. But and um, it it had gone pretty well. But uh, yeah, I don't recommend winter. <laughs> I learned that when making my first my um film five oh. <laughs> but you know i but the thing again is kind of when it's in winter you kind of get people to work on your stuff but if you work in winter try to just shoot inside as much as possible well right? that's the other thing too the the stuff we shot outside most of the film was in one house mm. inside but we did shoot some stuff outside and it looks great but i i just remember standing at the monitor outside thinking I wish I didn't have to be here. I'm going to lose face, though, if I go in. The, the crew are already judging me. I can't go inside, and it was so cold. Oh, know? God. Um. So now, what are you... Well, I know your current... Well, before... After that, you made... Um, you, you ruined our life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one with the kid from the future, from the past, future, yeah, right? Yeah, And then came through and... Ugh. How did that idea come about? I was well. I was in New Glasgow in my thirties, walking home one day. I had gone to see a movie, and I was walking, and I thought, if the twelve-year-old version of me could see me right now, he would be so angry <laughs> because I'm still in this crappy little town and I haven't done anything with my life. And and then that made me laugh. 
And so I wrote it down. And then I thought, what would happen if somebody from the 80s who's 12 somehow ends up now mm. seeing the 40-year-old version of themselves? What you know, and it didn't quite turn out the way they wanted. What would happen? So it was originally the idea. I had I was in England a few years ago, and I pitched it as a TV show, oh. and there was like a little bit of interest, but it never really went anywhere. And then I I I thought, you know, I'd really like to make. After I made your money, your wife, I thought I want to make another feature, and I I'm I think it could be done for no money. Mm. So I wrote that script, and we shot it for. We did it an Indiegogo and raised five grand for post, but the the shoot itself was eight hundred bucks. What? Five and a half Vomiting. days. Oh, what? Yeah, we did. You shouldn't brag about this. This is def <laughs> definitely not something you should brag about. But two different days, we shot seventeen pages. That's nuts. Yeah. It's, oh, a lot of. And they were only like eight or nine hour days. Yeah. God damn it. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. I never try that. Yeah. Don't do that. <laughs> wait. Wait for the money. <laughs> or find a story, you know, if you find if you want to make a movie that doesn't have conventional coverage mm. that it, you know, you or you don't need lights or you don't whatever, you could probably do it. But if you're doing it in a and we had a very small crew, but if you're doing it in kind of a conventional coverage way, mm. it's very challenging. Oh, man. I yeah. can't even imagine it. And but now you you your most recent film, the Gaelic film. Yeah. Why did you decide to make a film in Gaelic? Well, I um I have a I have a Gaelic background. My uh, father's grandparents were all first language Gaelic speakers mm. and I have a I have a Gaelic name. And so all my life I've had to spell it for people and have yeah, people yeah. say that's weird or yeah, that's yeah, different yeah. or whatever. And so it's always been something I've been interested in. And over the years I would take lessons every once in a while and it kind of never went anywhere. And then I was working at AFCOOP on a, a project called Languages of Nova Scotia where we facilitated the making of films in different languages, five different languages, including Gaelic. Mm. And at that time, it was about two years ago, I thought, you know, this is a real opportunity for me to try this again. Mm. So for two years now, I've been, I'm still probably a low intermediate, but I've been serious about trying to learn the language, get involved in the community. And so I just wanted to make a film in Gaelic because mm. that's, you know, that's what I do. I make films. So I had a script in English that was a three-hander and I thought could be done fairly easily because uh, casting's a bit of a challenge. There isn't as the pool isn't as big mm. to draw on. So uh, I decided, okay, this would be something that's manageable. So we shot it in April. It's it's called Antinial Espresso, which means the espresso machine, and uh, hopefully it will have a sort of a life in festivals beginning this fall. It's almost done. So oh wow, what's left? Uh, well, a few things like color, uh, <laughs> music, and then the mix. So it's, uh, we're, uh, you know, the picture's locked. Oh, okay. I did the subtitles and everything. So, yeah. Oh, man. That's not fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How long is it? Uh, it's 15 minutes. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Which I wish it was a little shorter, but, um, I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. And there's not, I don't think there's a lot of fat in it. So, mm. and then I want to do another Gaelic short maybe this fall. Oh. And then I'm writing a couple other things, uh, that hopefully will be, you know, I'd eventually like to do a Gaelic feature. Are you, so it's all Gaelic from here on out? No, or? I still, <laughs> I'll still do English. I'll still do English. I'm writing a feature called uh, Gen X Forever Bitches. That's in English. What is that about? It's about a bunch of people of different generations who keep, Ending up in the same car, the car keeps getting stolen. Yeah. Okay, because again, car theft is funny. It's not like it's like cocaine. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna end it with this. Um, what I mean, you love writing and you love telling stories and making films, but what about comedy? 
pulls you to it, especially the style of style of comedy you make. Well, it took me a long time. I have a friend in London who said to me, "He's like, well, you do farce. That's what you do." And I didn't even sort of, I hadn't really thought about it. And then I realized, like, the uh, the ITV Jeeves and Worcester series with Stephen Fry and Hugh Laurie from the early '90s was this huge influence on me. And um, so, yeah, I, I would say I do farce. And uh, I think what draws me to it is I just like I think I think the world is this beautiful, crazy, ridiculous place, mm. and you kind of have to laugh, and that's always been my response. And I, when I was a kid, I would I would could make people I don't know if I'm funny or not I think I am but maybe not but I could whenever I would make people laugh. I, because I think what happens, anybody in comedy basically doesn't like themselves. And so <laughs> if you can make people just like there, if you can make somebody laugh, you think, oh, maybe I'm not garbage, right? So that I think that's for me where it comes from. And it's just fun. It's like when you make a movie and it's in a theater and people are laughing, that is such an amazing feeling. Mm. And so, yeah, I, I, not everything I write is comedy, like November 1946, <laughs> definitely not comedy. But that tends to be what I've I've mostly done, yeah. and I just I find the world is so, and you kind of have to, you kind of have to laugh or you're gonna cry. Like the world is really messed up. It Not probably really. always has been, but never to the degree it is now, particularly mm. with climate change and so on. Yeah, the rise of fascism, and um, again, and so I, I'm not saying that is anything more than a coping mechanism, but mm. it, it is a coping mechanism. And that's, so I think that's where it kind of comes from. Wow. And I think I'm asking cause it's super difficult to write comedy. So yeah, not for me. Exactly. <laughs> so um, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely have to have, have you come back to the podcast because okay. I didn't even get to talk about football. No, we need to have a West Ham episode. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much for Thank coming. Thank you for today. having me. This is the Blackout Podcast. Thanks for listening.